Hi, welcome to Grace Presbyterian. I'm Pastor Ryan. This morning we're continuing in our series called Caution, Let the Body Beware. Today we look at the danger of unforgiveness and how destructive it can be to the church. We're in the Gospel of Matthew with the parable of the unmerciful servant. Thanks for listening. Good morning. I don't know if you've seen this sign on the road. Anyone seen this sign before? <laughs> Go ahead, shout it out. This is a what? Deer crossing sign. That's right. Um, I found a pretty humorous account. This gal, she called into the radio station because she sent letters to the Department of Transportation just very bewildered as to why you would place these signs in such highly trafficked areas. <laughs> why allow the deer to, to cross the road <laughs> where all the cars are? She, uh, she misunderstood something very fundamental. The deers aren't looking at the signs, and whether you remove the signs or, or, or place them somewhere else, uh, there's a warning that needs to be heeded. Uh, the, the sign exists for the purpose of drawing your attention to a danger that exists. I, I looked up some stats this morning. In the state of Michigan, there's over 50,000 deer-related accidents every year. Every year, 50,000. Uh, show of hands, anybody hit a deer? Anybody? Yeah, look at this. We, we got 80% of the folks here ra- raising their hands. Um, out of those 50,000, um, the report also said uh, 1,329 injuries and eight deaths. Well, what should we pay better attention to, maybe? I know I could. I, I know sometimes I just see these on the side of the road, just drive on by. But the sign is there for a reason. The, the warning is there to get our attention that we would preserve life. We're in a a bit of a series here that I've entitled Caution. And as we looked at last week, uh, the danger that approaches the church to become stale in the movement that God would have us to be here on earth, uh, last week it was religion, right? It's very easy for us to just fall into a pattern of self-medicated righteousness, of thinking you're okay and I'm okay. And we miss what a relationship looks like with Jesus Christ because that's essential. It's non-negotiable. This morning, our topic that I want us to look at, the, the warning sign that I'd like you to make sure that you see at the front of your day, the, the danger that would cause the church to become stale, divided, and useless for the mission of God, is unforgiveness. Unforgiveness. The way in which we want to hold on to those petty grudges and just not let them go. And the devil wants nothing more than for you to find a tasty morsel of a grudge against somebody that you can continue to feed and give attention to. I, I, I feel like part of our understanding the danger, the, the importance of forgiveness in the life of the church, has to be a reconstruction of how we even consider church. For, for years, even in my own life, I thought my... My mistakes, my failures, my sins, even my grudges or unforgiveness was only something that affected me. But that's not true. That's not true at all. That when you come to Jesus Christ, you come now engrafted into something larger than just yourself and your own cares. We are what? We are called the body of Christ. In the same way that if you ever... You ever stub your toe really good? I mean, the really good kind where you only want to say cuss words. You know, give me an amen, church. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, my, my sweet little two-year-old, she was walking across the tile floor, and she caught her toe on it just yesterday. And, oh, she did a little stumble and looked at me, and then pretty soon came the lip quiver, and then pretty soon came the eyes down. 
And the tears followed right after that. But you know what she didn't do? I found this very curious. You know what she didn't do? She didn't cut off her toe because it hurt her. She didn't. She didn't remove it from the body because it caused the body harm. Instead, you know what she did? She, she gave it more attention because it needed to be addressed. Did you ever get a piece of sawdust caught in your eye? You know, you know just the kindness. Oh, man, right? Not a single time that has happened to me have I plucked out my eye and given up on it. Just because part of the body caused harm to the rest doesn't mean we remove it and, and, and lose touch with it. It still has a purpose. It still has a function. It's the same with the church. It's the same with how we need to understand the relationship between one another. There is no place in the body of Christ for unforgiveness. I, I feel like I ought to give a definition for us here. Uh, I define it this way. Unforgiveness is your treasuring of past offenses that you hold against your brother or sister. That's what it is. Unforgiveness is a treasuring. I, I added some words so that maybe you can really get what I'm trying to say here for treasuring. Uh, it's keeping grudges, protecting them, sustaining them, feeding them, desiring them, loving them, maintaining them, pridefully saluting them. And if you gave the Spirit time to search over the depths of your heart, you'll find one of those adjectives or adverbs to be true for how you might deal with a past grudge. Oh, Pastor Ryan, I love everybody. I, I don't have any unforgiveness in my life at all. Well, I hope you stick around to the end of the message because what each of us need to do is give a good, careful search over our hearts. Because the danger is this. Unforgiveness in the church ruins the body. It destroys it. We need a warning. We need to hear a caution. Uh, our primary text is in Matthew, but before we turn there, I want you to see what Peter says. Turn in your Bibles to 2 Peter chapter 1. Just uh, a real quick verse, as Peter, uh, the uh, apostle, sent to the Jews, uh, that one that would open his mouth so quick with Jesus, uh, who, know, who knew more than anybody the experience of the love of the Savior. Here's what he has to say to the church. Second Peter chapter 1, if someone with a pew Bible has the uh, page number, go ahead and shout it out, please. 893? 1893. 1893, 2 Peter chapter 1. He'll speak to what Jesus has done for the church in verse 5. Listen to what he says now. Listen to what the church ought to be adding. He says, for this reason, make every effort to add to your faith. And we've all got faith, right? But you gotta, it, you're going to add some things when you start to see Jesus. When you see what Jesus has done for you, you're going to add some things. So here's what he says. Add to your faith goodness. And to goodness, knowledge. And to knowledge, self-control. And to self-control, perseverance. And to perseverance, godliness. And to godliness, brotherly kindness. And to brotherly kindness, love. Verse 8. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure. Check this now. They will keep you from being ineffective. And unproductive. The devil wants more than anything to get the church to be ineffective he wants more than anything for you to just remain unproductive ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ but if anyone does not have them check it out he is nearsighted and blind and has forgotten 
that he has been cleansed from his past sins. You know the symptom of somebody that lacks these things? The symptom of somebody in the church who ends up being just ineffective, just unproductive, just maybe going through the motions? You know what, it, you know what the root is? That comes from forgetting that you've been forgiven. That you've been forgiven. For even as we've already prayed this morning, right? We, we said it together. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our sins as what? As we forgive those who sin against us. It's so essential to the health of the church. It finds its way through almost every page of Scripture. And the very prayer we ask the Lord every week. That we would be the kind of people who would learn not to hold on to those grudges. Because it's so easy to. It's so easy to find them. And it's so tempting to want to keep them. Uh, What we're going to try to do this morning is see how we can pursue genuine forgiveness. Turn with me to the book of Matthew chapter 18. We're going to read through the passage. I'm going to make a little commentary as we walk through it. And then I have five conclusions. I want you to listen close for each of these because every one of them will help us to understand how we can pursue genuine forgiveness. Because the reality is that holding on to grudges, holding on to past transgressions, they don't do a thing against the person you want to hold them against. All they do is create baggage for you through this world. And they will make you ineffective. And they will make you unproductive. Matthew chapter 18. We're going to start in verse 21 through 35. Um, Here's Peter again. He comes to Jesus in verse 21. He says, Lord, good question here. Look at this. How many times shall I forgive my brother when he sins against me? Up to seven Now the subtext behind this that we probably don't realize is that rabbinical teaching, Jewish teaching at the time, said that for repeated sins, you ever get somebody that had repeated sins? Man, they just keep doing it every time. I ain't going around that person because I know how they are. That's just who they are. They keep doing this. The rabbinical teaching at the time said that for repeated sins, you can be forgiven up to three times, but on number four, mm -mm. I said, I have no obligation before Yahweh to forgive you if this continues up to four times. And so Peter's curious. He comes to Jesus. He says, my brother's sinning against me. How many times do I need to forgive him? Peter goes a little more generous than the teaching of that day. Up to seven? Look at Jesus' reply. Jesus answered, I tell you not seven times, but 77 times. A little text note on this could be translated either way. Your Bible might read uh, seven times, 70 times. Or it might say 77 times. At either point, Jesus is trying to communicate a single idea, which is this. There's no limit. That's what Jesus is trying to communicate. There's no limit. It's not that Peter needs to get out a list and start counting up to 77 now until he's forgiven. Jesus' point is that there is no limit to the number of times we as brothers and sisters need to forgive one another. Verse 23, he tells this story. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to pay him. Um, That will skip over your head without knowing how much that is. Maybe your study Bible might have a note here, but a talent was the largest unit of measurement that they had. Uh, It stood for around 6,000 days wages. Big, big number, right? Uh, Even a single talent could be worth, potentially on your job, up to a million bucks. 
So what are we talking about here? 10,000 talents? One commentator said that in today's uh, numbers, if you were to upgrade currency into today's amount, that'd be up to a billion dollars. Understand this. Jesus is trying to pick a number that's just astronomically large, right? Uh, Could anyone pay that amount back? Billion dollars? Uh, I'm in trouble. I don't know about you guys. See me after church if you can pay that back. We'll, We'll have a conversation. So Jesus tells a story, right? He goes to the man who owed him 10,000 talents. Uh, Who knows how he got into this mess, but that's what he owed. Verse 25, since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. Now, that's only going to be a fraction of it, but look at what the master sees. You're going to give everything to cover the transgression. The offense is so large, even everything you have isn't enough to cover it, but we're taking it anyways. That's... That's the punishment. Verse 36, the servant fell on his knees before him. Be be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. Now, first of all, this guy knows he can't. I mean, even out of the best case servant's wage, working the rest of his life, he's not going to be able to pay it back. So really, what's he doing? He's trying to make restitution, but all he's asking for here is mercy. He knows it. The king knows it. Everybody knows it. Verse 27, the servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. But when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. Now, I'll define that for you too because, again, we might not be familiar with this terminology. Uh, This would be roughly... Um, a few months pay. A couple thousand dollars is how you need to think of this. Um, the fellow servant, it, it wasn't completely insignificant, right? A couple thousand bucks, you got that to throw around? I, I don't. Someone owes me that money, I'm going to be wanting to get that money back, right? And I, I may need to go to him and say, hey, you got, you got to pay up. So whatever happened, the offense that we're looking at here, it's not slight. It's a real deal, right? And many of us have been wounded by people. Have you ever been hurt? It's a real hurt, right? Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Sometimes those sins are tough. Sometimes they're real. Well, th- that's the, still the story we're talking about here. This isn't pocket change. This is a real deal. So he goes, 100 denarii. He, he grabs him. He begins to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees. Look at verse 29. Exactly the same words as verse 26. His fellow servant fell to his knees. He begged him, be patient with me and I will pay you back. Something to which he actually could do. Give enough time, he could pay this back, no problem. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. Just think about that for a moment. Think about what he did. How easy is it going to be to pay back the money when you're in prison? That's what we do with unforgiveness, you know. That's what it's like. You hold on to it, and you never find the ability to bring restoration, restitution, reconciliation, because you keep that little thing a prisoner. Boy, I just love my little grudge. You know what they said? I'll never let that go. I'm just keep telling people what they said, and this is who they are. This is my little pet grudge. I'm going to feed it every day and give it some water, because I love it. That's what unforgiveness is. It's treasuring past offenses to hold against your brother or your sister. So he throws him into jail. 
Verse 31, when the other servants, remember these are all equal here, like there's no hierarchy, they're all on the same plane. So when these other guys hear about this, they saw what happened, they're greatly distressed, they went and told, the Greek here for told is explained in detail, they told their master everything that happened. Verse 32, then the master called the servant in, you wicked servant, he said. I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't have you had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master turned him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. Jesus says in verse 35, This is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother from your heart. I just want to make a couple of conclusions here. Five things that I see from this text that we really need to understand if we're ever going to pursue biblical, true, genuine Forgiveness. The first is this. God is the judge of the universe. Justice is not something that you and I are going to have the ability to uh, escape apart from Christ. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 5.10, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one, each one may receive what is due him for the things done while in the body, whether good or or bad. God, church, God is the judge of the universe. In this story, the king is being personified, or God is being personified as the king. This one who calls the servants in and says, let's look at the ledger. Let's take a look at your account and find out what's owed. There's another really good passage in Romans. You could turn with me this one. Romans 14, 12. I'll give you just a moment to get there because it's really good. Romans 14, Our context here has Jesus returning. And Paul will write in Romans 14 and verse 10, For we all will stand before the judgment seat of God. It is written, As surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow before me, every tongue will confess to God. Verse 12, So then, each of us will give an account of himself to God. And look at verse 13, Therefore, look at the therefore, it's really important, right? If it's true, number one, first conclusion, God is the judge of the universe. And if that is true... Look at verse 13. Therefore, let us stop passing judgment on one another. Instead, make up your mind not to put any stumbling block, block or obstacle in your brother's way. God is the judge of this universe. And when he's talking about not passing judgment, don't feel like that means you don't hold each other accountable. I don't want you to misunderstand this. right? The, the judgment he's thinking about here is the kind where you hold on to unforgiveness. That's what he's talking about. Stop that. Stop trying to point out the speck in each other's eyes and not address the log in your own. You're going to answer for your own, for God is the judge of the universe. And understand this too, that the most loving thing that we can do with one another is confront one another through the authority of God's word. If you see somebody who's continuing in sin, we know that the Bible says, you who are spiritual, go and restore him gently. Bring him back. It's tough sometimes. It's tough. First point I need to point out to you is this. God is the judge of the universe. In verse 32, it's the master that calls the servant back. I'm back in Matthew 18 now. In verse 35, Jesus says, This is how my Father, this is how God will treat each of you. 
There's no pecking order on earth that God pays attention to. God, God is not a um, subject to our levels of hierarchy. Well, I'm the man of the house, so I have whatever grudge I want, right? Or the ladies say, well, he may be the head, but I'm the neck that turns the head. I can, <laughs> I can have whatever grudge I want. Or maybe in, in your job, maybe you're the boss, right? And these guys down here, and, and because of my position, you feel like you've got some authority to hold unforgiveness? This little thing that makes you look better because you're holding it over them? You missed the point. God is the judge. We are all equals. There is no favoritism that God sees before any of us here on earth. Pastor included, especially. Therefore, let us understand with soberness that we have to treat one another the way we ourselves would want to be treated. That's my first. God is the judge of the universe. Number two is this. True forgiveness. Ready? True forgiveness leaves nothing owed. Look with me in verse 26 and 27 of this passage. Remember the servant? 10,000 talents, billion bucks you owe me. He falls on his knees. Be patient with me, he begged. I'll pay back everything. The master took pity on him. And my Bible says, put him on a payment plan. Is that what your Bible says? Um, you know, took some layaway, right? We're going to have an auction. No. You know what true forgiveness looks like? My Bible says this. Canceled the debt and let him go. True forgiveness leaves nothing owed. If you have trouble with that, you've got to read 2 Peter 1 like we just did. Because you know what your problem is? You're nearsighted. You're blind. You're, you're, you're looking at what happened to you just here in the front of your nose. You're not looking at the glory of God. And you have forgotten that you yourself have been cleansed from your sins. Folks, i got to tell you, the chasm that separates you in your sin and your offense before holy God Almighty is so wide. It's so vast. Only God Himself could bridge it. The distance is infinite. Now think about the argument you have with your spouse. What's the distance we're talking about here? Right, uh, the, the argument, uh, that thing that you want to hold against mom because she never did this or dad because he never did. Think about whatever it is because the distance between one another here is so small. And if you don't see that, it's because you're nearsighted. You don't understand the chasm to which you've already been forgiven. For true forgiveness leaves nothing. Leaves nothing owed. Well, I forgive, but I ain't never going to... What if God treated you that way? What if you get to heaven and he said, Oh, my son or daughter, I forgive you, but I am never going to forget. <laughs> That's not how God does it. And our standard for the love that we've received from God is the same measure that we now have the privilege to give to one another. True forgiveness leaves nothing owed. Number three. The forgiven are the forgiving. Right? That, it's kind of the same thing I was already talking about in, for number two, right? Those who have been forgiven are those who are the forgiving. Look with me at verse 33. 
the king response to this wicked servant when he comes. Look what he says in verse 33. Shouldn't you have had mercy? Like, have you forgotten already? Of all the people who should have canceled the debt, shouldn't it have been you? Shouldn't have you have remembered the, the debt that I canceled on your behalf and then extended that to one another? If anybody should be forgiven, it must be the one who has been forgiven. For it is the forgiven who are the forgiving. I wrote this down. I said, you cannot give away that which you have not first received. That's true, you know. You can't give away something that you yourself have not first received. And in this story, it was offered to him. But he didn't receive it. The chance to have the debt completely wiped out. That was the offer made by the king. But we can see from the text he didn't receive it. He didn't embrace it. Proven by the fact that he was not forgiven. Because he did not forgive. For it is the forgiven who are the forgiving. I really kind of beg the question that if we still struggle with forgiveness. We need to take a real hard look over our life and make sure we're not just coming to church thinking we're caught in religion. This whole series we're at is warning signs. Wake up. These are dangers. They will cause us to become ineffective and unproductive. And if you can't forgive somebody, this is how John says it. If you don't love your brother whom you have seen, how can you love God who you have not seen? Anybody who says, I love my brother, but still holds something against him, John says, is a liar. You're a liar. You're not fooling anybody but yourself. For how can you love God who you've not seen when you cannot forgive your brother who you have seen? It is the forgiven who are the forgiven. All right, so number one, God is the judge of the universe. That's coming, right? We're going to give an answer for it. He does not... Judge impart, uh, he judges us impartially, right? He not, does not play favorites. Number two, true forgiveness leaves how much owed? How much? Nothing. nothing. Leaves nothing owed. Number three, the forgiven are the forgiving. Number four is this. There is no limit to forgiveness. You've got to hold on to that one. There's no limit to forgiveness. Let me ask you the question. How would you do this week with sin? All those perfect, raise their hand. Perfect week. Or do you got to come before the cross as well and be reminded that the blood of Christ is sufficient? It's sufficient. I need to dip back into the love of God. I probably need to do it this morning. Any amens from that? This morning, sin is still showing up, right? Arguing on church, honey, white, let's go, right? And then get to, oh, good morning. Everything's fine. I've been there. There is no limit to the forgiveness that we must extend to one another. Peter said, seven? Man, that's good. Seven? Jesus says, 70 times seven. Seventy-seven times. There is no limit to it. Here's the reality of it. When you are done asking God for forgiveness, you can be done giving forgiveness. That's the deal. As much as you continue to require from God that you would seek forgiveness, that's the same measure of forgiveness that you're challenged to hand to one another. So as soon as you're good to go, well then, you probably have no problem stopping. But until that point, understand, according to true forgiveness, there's no limit. There's no end to it. All right, lastly, number five is this. I had a hard time with this too. I only wanted four conclusions, but I have to put this in. I'm not doing the job of a pastor unless I share with you this last one. Personal unforgiveness leads to hell. 
Personal unforgiveness leads to hell. Look look with me down in verse 34. In his anger, his master turned him over to the jailers to be tortured. Jesus is going to make this very clear. You don't have the love that knows no bounds if you yourself cannot extend that love. In short terms, it means you're not saved. It means you're still living in sin because I got this little thing I want to hold on to. If you find as you're listening to my voice this morning that you've got something like that, understand that God is in process with all of us. And the genuineness of your faith may absolutely be real and it's proven by the fact that you will, you will eventually lay that thing down. And maybe the Spirit is right now working on you saying, oh man, I shouldn't have come to church today, but now that I have heard all this, I guess I've got to do something with this unforgiveness that I'm still holding on to. But, if you hear my voice this morning and are listening to God's Word and you're like, no, I'm keeping this thing because Brother Ryan, you don't know what it was like. You don't know the offense that was paid against me. I will not forgive. I don't care what happens. I've got to say, I'm not sure you know forgiveness then. Because personal unforgiveness leads to hell, church. It will destroy not only the effectiveness of this church to divide us and make us ineffective here. What use is it to cut off part of the body that just because it caused you a little pain and you don't want to address it, that's the very thing you should do. It will not only ruin the church, but it will ruin your very destination for eternity. And if you don't believe me enough from this passage, please turn with me to one last one. Go to Matthew chapter 6 and listen to the just base sincerity, the simplicity of what Jesus would tell us from Matthew chapter 6. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Verse 14. Everybody with me? Matthew chapter 6, verse 14. For if you forgive men when they sin against you, Your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their sins, your heavenly Father will not forgive yours. God is the judge, folks. You will stand before Him someday. If you claim the blood of Christ, there's nothing left on your account except the reward that comes from knowing the righteousness of Christ that lives in us. That's a good day. But you'll stand before the judge one way or another. Number two, true forgiveness leaves nothing left on the account. So whatever you got against somebody, you got to wipe that thing out completely. Number three, the forgiven are the forgiving. It's a good question to find out where you're at in life. Number four, there's no limit to the times at this. Do it today, guess what? Do it tomorrow, too. As long as you come before the foot of the cross, you continue to extend that same grace to one another. And lastly, make sure that we heed the warning. Man, like a big yellow sign on the road of our life. There's a danger here. Because personal unforgiveness will lead to hell. I want to ask the ushers if they will come forward. I got one point of application just before we break bread together. Look what I brought to church today. So there's a reason for this. Hopefully you already threw your rock out. I'm hoping. Um, 
Uh, I'm going to have them pass these down, and what I'd like you to do is pull out the square, all right? Don't laugh at me yet, just go with me on this for a minute, okay? Um, maybe... You, you, you guys you guys know what toilet tissue is used for, right? We, we, we're all good here, right? There is nothing else in your house that collects more refuse than toilet tissue, right? And, and listen, maybe for you, maybe you've received some crap in life. All right? I, I hate to put it that way, but let's just be honest, right? Maybe something has come your way that's just, I mean, I could use other words, but you get the point, right? It, it, it stinks. It, it, it hurts. It doesn't belong there. I promise you this, that which you put into this, you will get out of it. Some of you may need to take a couple squares, I'll say that. (laughs) Some (laughs) did. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to think of that person. And I want you today to, again, you put this into this, it will have meaning, it will have purpose for you. Otherwise, you're just going to end up with wad of toilet paper in your laundry when you do wash, right? I want you to think through the Holy Spirit's leading of that individual that needs to be forgiven in your life. And I want you to write that on that square or multiple squares, whatever it takes. Because you know where this belongs? This belongs in the toilet. That's where this belongs. Whatever crap that happened to you, and some of it's bad, some of it hurts, and some of it's the kind that you've been holding on to church for a long time, it's time for you to let those things go. It's time for you to put them down. And if you're here this morning thinking, man, I can't think of anybody. I forgive everyone. I, I have three checks for you, all right? Here's the first. And but Actually, before I give it, I want, you to, I want you to give attention to the spheres in your life. So the first place that maybe you need to forgive, the first is maybe yourself. Like There are, there are people here this morning that you haven't forgiven yourself for some things. You're still holding on to some junk that you did and not wanting to let that thing go. Or maybe it's your spouse. Let's go the next circle, right? Maybe it's your loved one, and, and I'm never forgiven for that. Maybe I will. I ain't never forget. That ain't forgiveness. Or maybe it's your children or your parents. Go the next level. Go the next one beyond that. Maybe it's friends. Maybe it's neighbors. Maybe it's strangers. You guys see the further out you go from yourself, and you let the Holy Spirit speak to you to show you that individual that you're just holding on to something for? Answer these questions. Number one, imagine that person. Imagine them, whoever that is in your life. And something bad happens to them. How do you feel? Because if you smile when you hear that they drove their truck into the ditch, (laughs) serves them. They had it coming, I'll tell you that much right now. You're still holding on to something. If at any point something bad happens to somebody and you don't feel what they feel and you kind of snicker and smirk, there's unforgiveness somewhere, right? So that's the first check. Uh, Number two, imagine this person, right? And now imagine something great happens to them. They win the lottery. I don't know. Something great happens. What's your first feeling to them? Is it jealousy? Is it that ain't fair? I can't believe that. Well, they probably cheated. or you know. What's your first thought that comes to your mind if something good happens to them? Because if it's anything other than joy, there's probably unforgiveness there. And the last one is this. Imagine that same person were to come to you and maybe much like that servant were to get down on their knees and ask you for help. And I need help with something right now. What's your response to them? What's your feeling to them in that moment? Can you help them? Can you extend 
grace to them as you have been extended to grace? Or are you saying, I knew the day would come when you came crawling back, needed my help. Let me tell you what, you weren't there for me, I ain't there for you. Hit the road, Jack. we got to check our hearts, church. I know I got this, and so I'm pretty sure that all of us do at some place. And we need God's help to take these and put them where they belong. It may have hurt. It might have been a really crappy situation. Let's be done with that. Let's be done with that. And let's heed the warning from Scripture. Let's be cautious to our church. Let's forgive each other as Christ has forgiven us. Amen? Amen. Let's pray together. God, we come to you humbled today. God, you got to wake us up. you got to shake us by the shoulders that we would see our need to let these things go. God, we're so thankful that you have offered forgiveness to us. And we ask now that in your kindness you will help us to be those who will continue to extend that same level of compassion and forgiveness to our brother. May that happen and may it begin here at Grace. Let it begin right now. In fact, let it happen today. Speak to those that need to do it. Don't let them leave this building until they take care of restoration and reconciliation. And hear our prayer such that we would be a church united, quick to forgive each other to glorify your name on this earth. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.